meditation, 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 depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. Can't think of anything. This is meditation in the city. The Shambhala New York podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Raising Your Motivation Through the Four Immeasurables. What about me? The I-Me-Mind statement quoted by songwriter George Harrison in a Beatles song is the usual state of mind throughout the day. We might not even notice how an egocentric mindset drives our life. The Bodhisattva teachings show how that state of mind is connected to poverty mentality and suffering. In this episode, we will learn how to raise our motivation and experience freedom from small-mindedness, raise our heads, and look around. This episode is inspired by aspirational Mahayana teachings on the four immeasurables. Today we are joined by Dr. Vegan Aharonian. Vegan began studying Shambhala Buddhism in 1996. Originally from Armenia, the former Soviet Union, he came to the United States as a graduate student at Columbia University in 1991. In addition to teaching regularly in New York City, Vegan has also taught international Shambhala programs in Russia and Ukraine. Here's Vegan to take away the discussion. So, uh, four immeasurables are the fundamental teachings, uh, Mahayana teachings, for uh, cultivating bodhicitta, raising bodhicitta attitude, bodhicitta motivation. Um, There are further subdivisions. Uh, So, four immeasurables are also called aspiring bodhicitta. These are four immeasurables are motivational teachings, how to raise your motivation. And six parameters, how to apply that motivation in real situations, how to act properly as a Bodhisattva. It's hard to cleanly separate them though, because if you raise your motivation, your actions follow naturally anyway even if you didn't hear about six parameters. So that's, that's where we start. So the four immeasurables formally are translated as, there are a couple of translations, but Chogyam uh, Trungpa translated this as, may all sentient beings enjoy happiness and the root of happiness. May all sentient beings be free from suffering and the root of suffering. May all sentient beings be, uh, not be separated from the great happiness devoid of suffering. And may all sentient beings dwell in the great equanimity free from passion, aggression and prejudice. And these four lines are referring to uh, the four immeasurables are loving kindness, compassion, joy and equanimity. So in very short, uh, before I go a little deeper, loving kindness is about wishing everybody to be happy. That's the line, make all sentient beings be happy, enjoy happiness. 
the compassion is may all sentient beings be free from suffering. So when we think of compassion, we, th- we want everybody to be free from suffering. Uh, joy is we, we are rejoicing with happiness of others. That's the sense of joy of seeing happiness and success uh, with people around us. In the community, I feel uh, perhaps is most important one. Uh, may all sentient beings dwell in the great equanimity, free from passion, aggression, and prejudice. Uh, equanimity is uh, dissolving the barrier between me and others. We are equal. We, we perceive everybody as part of us, extending ourselves outwardly. We are not saying this is me and my interests, my needs, my agenda, and that is theirs. Sometimes they agree, sometimes they disagree, but this is me against them, right? Or this is my group of people, my social sphere, or um, whichever way we identify that, ethnically, educationally, professionally, and otherwise. So we identify, we tend to, it happens unconsciously, but we do identify with certain people and the others seem to be more remote. Not necessarily enemies, but kind of outside our sphere of interest, interaction, right? I don't want to criticize it strongly, but we tend to separate ourselves in in this way. So equanimity means dropping those boundaries. When we start thinking that uh, the real happiness is when everybody is happy. Otherwise, it's, it's limited. If it's just my happiness and somebody else is unhappy, sooner or later, I will be unhappy too, and we were interconnected more than we normally think. So if we could feel complete equanimity that my interests are no more important than interests of anybody else, then all the other things fall into place automatically. We are happy for everybody, not just for us. We rejoice with everybody's uh, successes, right? And we wish everybody to be free from suffering just as much as we wish to be free from suffering ourselves. Uh, I first heard these teachings, this was the first actually Buddhist teaching I heard outside our regular Shambhala teachings. I went to Karma Choling when I just started in Shambhala. Well, I said 96, I think it was 98, perhaps. I went just to see what is a retreat center in Shambhala look like, and happened to be a Tibetan Rinpoche teaching, uh, Namdro, I think is his name here. Kenpo Namdro, yes, I remember him. This was the first Tibetan I've seen a lot. And this was three or four day teachings, just on these four immeasurables. 
And so Tibetan logic typically, well, I said logic, I want to explain. I think Tibetan teachings are all based on some logical explanation. It's not just, we say so, so you, if you trust us, just believe this is true. There is, you of, always, I think, there is some explanation why. And so his logic why was that um, since we all believe in reincarnation, again, you might not believe in reincarnation, you don't have to, but I want to present you the classical Buddhist explanation. And so we get reborn an um, uh, infinite number of times. And so if we are born infinite number of times, in different lifetimes, we become close relatives with all different beings. Like, mathematically speaking, if there is limited number of beings and unlimited number of rebirths, randomly speaking, at some points everybody will be your either mother or father or brother or child, right? And so Tibetan logic is that whenever you, whoever you see, you can remember that in one of my previous lifetimes, this person was my mother or father, or maybe in one lifetime my father and the other one my mother or my child. And so if this was my parent, they took care of me, they fed me, they... And so they are as important for me as my own parent in this lifetime or my child. And so he kept bringing this argument with whatever he was, whichever he was talking, he was saying, you can rejoice with everybody just as if that person was your father or mother. Um, one comment that at that point shocked me, I was relatively new in this country, and so we were driving with, with a guy, a Canadian, I remember that, I don't remember his name, and he said to the group of us, we're staying in... Anyway, so he said, he keeps saying, your father, and my father is son of a bitch. I can't relate, <laughs> I can't relate to that notion. And so that was quite a shock for me, too, that that can happen. But then, since then, I heard a lot of situations, of course, things happen. Families. But the, so the point is, whoever you, you are naturally feeling um, affection to and are willing to go extra miles. So think of everybody else that they have been in that position for you in one of your lifetimes. So if we could, again, this is Tibetan logic that is based on uh, reincarnation. Uh, if we think of Shambhala teachings, they, are, they don't really emphasize necessarily uh, the Shambhala teachings. They accept reincarnation, but kind of logic is not requiring you to accept that. Um, but there is this other notion of interconnectedness. I, I started talking about that, that uh, if Huh, here is a good example. If there is coronavirus in China, <laughs> it doesn't mean we are not affected, right? Uh, that's a very brutal, so to speak, uh, 
example, tangible, tangible example. But even if we go more subtly, if there is uh, pain and famine or whatever form somewhere on this planet, somehow we get eventually affected. The happiness and suffering cannot be absolute happiness. You can be happy for some small success for a day or, or a week or five minutes, right? But generally speaking, we are very interconnected. If, there is, if, so, if somebody is angry at your workplace for some event, there are these fumes or they, they, they radiate the anger, irritation, right? So we do get affected. On the other hand, if somebody comes very happy, joyful, with a smile and joking, again, everybody in the room also get affected positively, right? And hence the bodhisattva attitude, that if I want to be happy, I really need to make everybody happy. And that goes for all four, right? Uh, compassion, joy, and equanimity is, is the basis of all that. At least I feel it's the basis. Uh, in, 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 from practicing point of view, and we will do a, a practice soon, they are all practiced one by one as a separate entities. So normally, when we wake up in the morning, when I wake up in the morning, I start thinking I have to do this, this, I don't have to be, I, I not, don't forget to take this with you, you have to be in the office at this time, today's my agenda, right? What do I need to accomplish? What do I need to do? What should I not forget? When I get out of the house, uh, I subway, is a train, which, which car should I take to be closer to the exit when I get out of the train? And on and optimizing my day. And, and so it's, it's constantly, uh, what about me, right? It's not necessarily egotistical, it's not necessarily at somebody else's expense. But still, I'm concerned about my life. Uh, so I want to do a practice, uh, which I will explain, unless you want to bring anything up before we practice something. I just have one question. In the statement about equanimity being juxtaposed against passion, how is passion being explained as something that's not, not part of happiness? You see, passion, aggression, ignorance, those are the root poisons, are perceived here as um, selfish passion. If you passionately wish everybody be happy, <laughs> that's not the type of passion that we mean here. Uh, but, you see, let me refine this. If it becomes um, agenda, uh, rigid agenda, that will make me upset if something doesn't go the way, I want to help you. 
if you don't, you must follow what I tell because that's good for you, right? So that passion is not really uh, enlightened passion. That's, that there is, there is uh, a need there, right? That's a typical Karen type of thing, right? Um, I'm thinking of Jewish mother. <laughs> uh, so, and it's hard to distinguish, is it parents' need or really child's need? Right? It's very, it becomes very subtle. So that's why the real compassion, real um, wish of happiness is not passionate in the usual sense of the word. It's more open-hearted, relaxed, it, it's light. It's not uptight. If we think, for example, that uh, we all learn from mistakes too, then you don't try to prevent your child or anybody around you necessarily to not to make mistakes. Because again, we can remember they will learn from mistakes. A little pain might be might take them a long way later, right? So if we remember that this is a more visionary view, a bigger view, it's just the motivation. I wish we don't always know what to do and what not to do because we have limited perception, limited understanding, right? But if we had that motivation then we can act out of the motivation and then what happens, happens. So, so going back to your example, you wake up, I have to do this, 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 I have to remember where to get to, I want to get to the office. But, so you have responsibilities and you do your best because you're trying to get by, right? But yet, when you take that subway, maybe you didn't wait for someone else to get on before you, and so there's that feeling of selfishness, and that has a lot of like self-beratement associated with it. So there's this, there's this sense of, yeah, you, 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 equanimity, and um, may all beings be happy, but at the same time, like when you fail, it's easy to kind of beat yourself up a lot associated with that. So there's this kind of subtle balance with where's your responsibility take priority. Right, right. The talent is subtle. I agree. We do have responsibilities, and if we and we can cannot be everything for everybody. We we, we are limited beings. Um, yeah, we just have to pick and choose. There are certain things we can do, certain things we cannot. Again, this is about motivation. I want to be as helpful to. Myself included, myself, my family, my surrounding, as much as I skillfully can. I improve my skillfulness, I 
raise my motivation and beating up yourself yeah that's that's unnecessary too because not everything is in our hands we do what we can sometimes we succeed sometimes we fail if we fail we try to learn from it that's what uh, when I said lightness that's part of that lightness we don't get uh, uptight there is no uptight bodhisattva I had an interesting thought. Um, it was actually something that I was thinking about earlier this week, over the weekend, but it relates to what you were talking about with the interconnectedness and what the um, teacher had taught you about reincarnation and like um, different people being your relatives. And I was thinking this weekend, like, like we actually like factually share everything because everything on the planet is made of the same material it's just all like moving around constantly so like when we're born our mom made us but she made us because she was eating plants and animals that were eating plants that was eating soil it's like we're all the same stuff and like when people die lifetimes and lifetimes later other people become the material that they were and so Factually, we are all sharing the same stuff and kind of just living through it. We're like being through it, I guess. What you are saying exactly, there is there this teaching called tendril, interrelatedness. And that's exactly the logic actually there that you just brought, that uh, <clears throat> when we eat, somebody had it in the store, there, was, there were people in the store who were handling the food, then there was a truck driver who brought it from somewhere, then there were people who were loaded that on the truck, and then people who grew that, if it's a, if it's a vegetable, say, somebody grew that. We are all interconnected, and whatever you touch, wherever you look, there are so many people involved in that thing. That shows how we are all interconnected. We are one big organism. If you think of uh, climate change, that's not a very tangible way we are interconnected. And that makes it easier to feel yourself part of the world, not separate yourself. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.